Today on Blue 58, the Packers' defense has a ton of talent, but what will it actually take for them to have a good season? A listener question gets us thinking about what a successful season could look like on that side of the ball. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Packers remain busy ahead of their second preseason game adding two players to fill out their roster in the wake of a couple of cuts. Uh, the first is safety Devontae Cross, 6 feet tall, 216-pound rookie out of Virginia. No testing numbers because he had a knee injury pre-draft, so kind of just have to go off his tape as probably the correct way of going about things anyway, but it's nice to have some some numbers on his athletic performance. He had previously signed with the Washington Commanders, uh, spent a brief amount of time there, Uh, and now ends up in Green Bay. Because the Packers are frankly in pretty rough shape, depth-wise, at safety at the moment. It's not that anybody's job is in danger per se, though the competition never really ends until you're into the regular season. Even beyond that, guys are still competing for roster spots. But as the Packers try to go through the preseason, they're having to do it pretty shorthanded right now. Four different safeties are hurt heading into the second week of the preseason schedule here. Darnell Savage, though he probably wasn't going to play anyway. Dallin Levitt, Tariq Carpenter, and Innes Gaines. At a certain point, you just need numbers to have practice and be able to play games. And that brings us to Devontae Cross, who comes to Green Bay so the Packers can continue to have a functional defense in practice this weekend through the preseason game. Also joining the Packers this week for very similar reasons is wide receiver Travis Fulgham, six foot two, two hundred fifteen pounds, pretty darn good athlete, eight point oh one on the relative athletic score meter, four five eight in the forty yard dash. Though it looks, if you watch him play, like he plays a little bit faster than that. A sixth round pick for the Lions back in twenty nineteen, never really made much of an impact there. And if you're thinking this name sounds awfully familiar, it's because he had a very brief stint with the Packers in twenty twenty. And by brief, we mean brief. He was signed on August 10th, 2020, released on August 19th, and was actually a part of the Packers for like two practices or something in there. It was a ridiculously short amount of time. They just needed him at the time for kind of an injury bridge player. It looks like that's kind of what they need from him right now. He actually ended up with the Eagles that season back in 2020 and had a pretty good year. 38 catches, 539 yards, and four touchdowns. That represents, however, the sum total of his NFL stats. Because he had no stats for the Lions in 2019. He had those pretty good stats in 2020, but no stats in 2021, despite playing or, well, being on the roster for the Eagles, the Dolphins, and the Broncos in 2020, 2021. Excuse me. He only did appear in one game uh, that year for the Broncos, played two snaps on offense and seven on special teams near the tail end of the 2021 season. The Packers need some bodies at receiver, very much like Dexter Williams here. He's available. He has some familiarity with the offense, although the extent to which that is true is tenuous at best. Nine days, how much do you really know? Uh, still, at least you have some familiarity with him, who he is as a player, and he's had some NFL success. You might as well see what you can get done with him on the field. This signing actually reminds me a little bit of Jarrett Boykin, not in terms of how he arrived in Green Bay, but in terms of the arc of his career to date. Boykin, uh, with the Packers in 2012, five catches for 27 yards. In 2013, 49 catches, 681 yards, and three touchdowns, then way back down again the next year. Three catches, 23 yards, and that's pretty much it for Jarrett Boykin's NFL career. This, of course, comes at the expense of Malik Taylor, 
who the Packers released this week. Uh, he had been around since 2019, and maybe I don't want to say emotional to see him go. I don't have a, a super big connection to Malik Taylor, but it was honestly, yeah, maybe kind of a bummer because uh, he's been around since 2019, uh, hung on the fringe for a really long time, never really more than a bit player. But you got to hand it to those guys who hang around for a lot, a long time because you're not making a ton of money, at least not for a professional athlete. Uh, you got to stay in super elite shape. You got to be ready for anything at a minute's notice. And he did that for a long time. He survived in the NFL as a fringe guy for a really, really long time. And now that's come to an end in Green Bay. Pivoting slightly here, heading into the second preseason game, there's not a ton of hard and fast stuff to talk about. So we've got a good listener question here before we preview some of the stuff to talk about uh, for preseason game number two. But I just want to talk about Rashawn Gary for a second. Because thinking about him heading into the 2022 season, watching him in the brief stuff you see at a training camp, hearing how everybody's talking about him, there's one phrase that keeps coming back into my mind as I think about Rashawn Gary. And that is, boy, I'm glad that he's on our side. Because watching him play has gotten to the point where he is legitimately scary. He is a first-off-the-bus type guy. He's the guy that you want at the forefront of your defense saying, watch out for us, here we come. And that's a fun thing to think about because, well, when you think about draft and develop as a philosophy, when you think about how the Packers go about building their team, it, it revolves around building up guys inside your organization in, in large part. You've got to have guys who take steps as players. You've got to have guys who improve, who build on their skills, who become the best version of themselves that they can be. And I don't think you necessarily think about that all that much with first-round picks, first-round picks that are as high as Rashawn Gary was, 12th overall, and first-round picks with the physical tools that Rashawn Gary has. I mean, all the way back on draft night in 2019, we were talking about his his physical gifts. And in terms of just testing and in terms of, you know, putting up the numbers he did at the size that he was at the time, unreal, unreal numbers, rare, rare physical tools. And yet there were questions about him as a prospect. He was a very good prospect to be sure, but there were legitimate questions at the time about his productivity in college. Why wasn't he more of a terror rushing the passer in college? Why did Michigan use him more as a table setter and run stuffer than a real pass rusher? And those questions were legitimate. And growth with any prospect is not guaranteed. But look where we are now. The Packers will tell you this is what they expected. They always knew that he was capable of this. Maybe that's true to an extent, but I don't know if anybody expected him to look like this heading into year four. A guy who's in some conversations as one of the best young edge rushers in the NFL, a guy who's going to make a lot of money in the very near future. That kind of career growth is a draft and develop success story too. It's not just the day two picks, the day three picks that you talk about with draft and develop. Rashawn Gary is a draft and develop success story too. And I don't know if there's a player whose 2022 season I am more excited to watch than Rashawn Gary. Because I think he could truly be a game-wrecking player for the Packers this year. And I'm excited to see what he can do when he gets out on the field. 
Heading into the back half of this podcast, I want to take a pause here for a second and shout out a couple Patreon supporters. Today we're talking about B. Anderson, Gabriel Lee, and Mark McInnes. I'm grateful to each of you for continuing to support the Power Sweep and Blue 58. And I'd be grateful if you would consider supporting us as well. Patreon.com slash the Power Sweep is the place to do that. I want to talk again about the great community around the Power Sweep and Blue 58. It's just a great group of people who hang out, get in touch with me in all sorts of different ways, but primarily through our Discord server wonderful place to to hang around and talk with Packers fans from all over the world. And uh, we get to do some fun stuff as a community there too. This year for Blue 58 listeners and supporters uh, who who join our Patreon team and and, uh, head into the Discord and stuff like that. We're going to do a Pick'em League, uh, see who we can, uh, see who is the the smartest and best or maybe luckiest uh, at picking games on a week-in, week-out basis. And we'll have some prizes attached with that as well. I'm excited to do that, and I'm excited to just interact with everybody throughout this football season. And if you'd like to be a part of that, consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash ThePowerSweep is the place to do it. So I'd like to take a listener question here because I think the approach here is so unique before we talk about preseason game number two. Discord user QHM offers this up today. So I had a question I'd be curious to hear everybody's thoughts on. If the Packers finish as the whatever best defense pick a number in the league, what is the reason and or what needs to happen? Here's what I've come up with, and he shares a few uh, criteria here. For a first-place defense, uh, you would need health, of course. You would need a guy like Quay Walker to be a valuable starter by Week 5 and Chris Barnes to continue solid rotational play. And he goes on from there, gives a few other reasons. What about if they're just going to be a top-10 defense? Well, he says the Packers' defense defensive line would need to be in the top five. They can lose up to one key starter, excluding Adrian Amos. And Devondre Campbell can't regress. Now, I like this approach a lot. And uh, as he goes on to say, looking at defensive success more as a gradient and what you have to get to meet those certain thresholds is probably a better way to look at it than just do the Packers have a good defense or do the Packers have a bad defense? I think that is a a really good question. He also offers up a little nugget here, wondering about uh, uh, Devondre Campbell regressing uh, this season with the Packers. So we'll take that on a little bit too. So let's, let's tear this apart a little bit. What has to happen for the Packers to have a good defense. We'll work from the bottom of the gradient up. Two thresholds I want to talk about. Top 10 defense and top 5 defense. And when I say top 10 and top 5, I'm going to say this is by DVOA, the metric that Football Outsiders uses, because I found that is the best number for total defense. You could go by scoring. I would take a look at that one as well. I would say avoid going by yards if you can. From what I've seen in terms of evaluating defense, it's pretty much close to worthless as as a gauge of a defense's overall ability. Stopping teams from moving the ball is, sure, important, but I'd rather focus on things like, um, you know, keeping them out of the end zone, takeaways, slowing down specific position groups, a more all-encompassing look at defensive success than just yards. So what would it take for the Packers to have a top 10 defense? I think it starts with health. Most of the big names have to stay healthy. Adrian Amos, I would say, is one of them, as as QHM points out. Uh, but I would also say Devondre Campbell, for reasons that we'll talk about a little bit here. He's going to be central to the Packers' defensive success. Uh, just being on the field is going to be a big deal for him, uh, regardless of what Quay Walker does this year. Because for starters, I don't think you can count on Quay to be a big contributor right out of the gate. I think it's going to take some acclimation time to, one, 
figure out what he can do for your defense here in year one, and two, figure out the way to best use him. It's going to be a work in progress for a while. Campbell has to be rock solid while that goes on. I also think that the Packers are going to need some depth-related contributions from a few different position groups. There have to be contributors on the defensive line beyond the top two or three guys. QHM says we need a top five defensive line. I'm not sure how you gauge that exactly, but I think that the idea there is solid. You need contributors on the defensive line beyond just Kenny Clark, beyond just Dean Lowry in the fairly limited role that he has, beyond just whoever is their third nominal starter there on the defensive line. I want the Packers to be four or five deep with at least solid enough rotational guys that you have some depth there on the defensive line because that helps you in run defense and in pass defense. I would also like to see depth at inside linebackers. We've talked about it a little bit already. Getting Quay Walker along sooner than later is going to help the Packers significantly. Also having no liabilities beyond that. So Chris Barnes, I don't think, is is necessarily a huge plus for your defense, but also he has the, the upside of not being an, an active negative for your defense too. So he's if you put him in the right situation, he's not going to make you actively worse. Beyond that, if you start talking about guys like Ty Summers last year, the year prior, well, then you're starting to guy, talk about guys who have a, a big flashing red sign over their head whenever they step onto the field. We talked about Will Redmond like that for a couple of years. Whenever he steps on the field, the opposing offense is saying, where's 26, where's 26, where's 26? And more often than not, it seemed like they were finding him. Same is true for guys like Ty Summers. I've told the story before, but I cannot get out of my mind. The 2020 NFC Championship game, it's either it was either Barnes or um, Christian Kirksey that went down from just like a series or two. And as soon as Ty Summers on the field, bam, Ty, uh, Tom Brady finds him, completion, boom, 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 moving the ball down the field just by looking for Ty Summers on the defense. It was just that fast. And he can't have that for a solid defense, for a top 10 defense. We also need to maintain the cornerback depth. The top three guys have to be solid. You probably need one contributor defensively beyond that on the next out of the next two or three guys. So, you know, I, I don't really have a strong preference on who that is, but if just for example, Shamar John Charles proves to be a solid, competent depth piece, that would be great for the Packers defense overall. We also need, again, some safety depth. Well, whoever that third safety is, Got to be a solid rotational guy. Otherwise, you, you have that um, active liability uh, attribute at play on your defense. Finally, uh, to be a top 10 defense this year, I think your rookies, uh, Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt, can't be just guys uh, this year. We don't get a redshirt year for either of these guys. They have to be a contributor in some way. And we've kind of hinted at this already. You need contributors on the defensive line beyond Clark, beyond Lowry. Wyatt can be that guy. You need inside linebacker depth and a strong rotation there. Quay Walker can be that guy. What about to be a top five defense? That's the other threshold here that we're looking about, looking at. So again, it starts with health. Uh, you need everybody healthy. Um, really can't lose anybody to be a top, top defense in this league. I'm starting a study this week on um, defenses, defensive performance relative to um, adjusted games lost. So Football Outsiders does a, a great tracking thing every year on the quality of guys that a given team loses by whether or not they were expected to be a preferred starter, so on and so forth. There's a bunch of different things that they look at. Uh, but I want to see how those defenses 
uh, the top defenses in the league do in terms of staying healthy. Because my theory or hypothesis, I guess, has always been that uh, to, to have a top defense, you really have to have everybody available all the time. It takes a lot of guys to make a really top-end defense. A top offense, as long as you have a competent offensive line, not even a great one, a good quarterback and a couple of good pass catchers, you can put together a pretty darn good offense. Maybe not one that's invincible, but you can be a top-end offense in, in the NFL. To be a top defense, you need more than a couple guys. You need a, a really solid contributors everywhere on the defense. So if the Packers are going to be a top-five defense this year, everybody has to be healthy. You're also going to have to have solid depth at all those positions we mentioned already, defensive line, inside linebacker, cornerback, safety, and then edge rusher. I think the Packers could get by this year, be probably a top five defense if they only have uh, Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary going at it on the outside this year with occasional spot snaps from some other guys. You can probably get by with that. But if the Packers want to be really good, an elite defense, you need somebody else to step up, probably more than one somebody. And I don't have, again, any preference on who that is. But somebody has to grab that third edge rusher spot if the Packers are going to have an elite defense. Somebody probably needs to be a reliable contributor as a fourth edge rusher, too. They need depth there, too. I'd also like to see, if the Packers are going to be a really elite defense, some schematic evolution from Joe Barry. And that should be possible in year two of his system. Most of these guys are coming back from last year. That second year should unlock some more capabilities within that defensive system. Guys playing different roles, guys maybe understanding their roles a little bit more, maybe tinkering with what those roles and responsibilities are even within your defense, maybe doing some things differently, adding some things that have worked for some other people. That is the sort of thing that you can do in year two in a scheme, and that is what we need from the Packers uh, for them to have an elite defense here in 2022. Finally, I think you need big step forwards as steps forward as players from three key guys. You need a big step forward from Eric Stokes. You need a big step forward from Darnell Savage. And you need a big step forward from Rashawn Gary. Stokes had a great rookie year. Being a great rookie or being great for a rookie isn't good enough here in year two. He needs to be just good or great for just a, an NFL player. We're no longer grading on the rookie scale. He's got to step forward. And that, for him, means making some plays on the ball, uh, draw, or bringing in a couple of those interceptions that he had opportunities for and just was not able to grab last year, just continuing to improve as a player. Darnell Savage, more or less the same thing. He needs to be more consistent making plays on the ball, uh, pulling in those interceptions when they come his way because he gets in the right spot almost, well, I've almost said almost all the time. Frequently, he is in the right spot ready to make a play on the ball, and then just isn't able to to haul it in uh, and improve the tackling there as well. And then Rashawn Gary, we've talked about how great he could potentially be this year. Uh, He just needs to live up to the hype, live up to the potential, and he can be that guy for the Packers here in in 2022. That, I think, is what's going to take for the Packers to have a top-five defense in the NFL. But what about Devondre Campbell? Our questioner asks about the potential for regression there. And that's a, I think, worthy concern because a big part of this defense being good in any capacity is Campbell's continued performance as a top linebacker in the NFL. Is that a sure thing? No. It's never a sure thing for anybody to be good from year to year. I mean, some guys are better bets than others. And I think when it comes to Campbell, he's probably a pretty good bet. Statistically, His 2021 season was not all that different from 2019 in Atlanta and 2020 in Arizona. The defenses around him were probably worse than what he had in the Packers last year, I would say. 
the difference between those seasons and 2021, why he went from just a guy to all pro, was getting more snaps in general, getting more snaps in coverage, a big strength for him, the one that was not really utilized previously, it seems, and having the best tackling season of his career. Looking at the numbers, he had the lowest missed tackle percentage of his career last year, 2.9%, according to Pro Football Reference. His previous low in his career for a single season was 3.4% in 2018. For his career, he misses about 6% of his tackles, missing tackles almost twice as frequently as he did in 2021. If there's reason for concern, it's just some regression towards his more normal um, career performance there as a tackler. I think there's also some concern elsewhere. If you're inclined to be concerned, you could worry a little bit about his health. The Packers are probably going to need around a thousand snaps from him again, even with Quay Walker out there this year. Because Walker, even if he's good as a rookie, shouldn't be their down-in, down-out inside linebacker this year. That needs to be Quay Walker. And he needs to be out there on the vast, vast majority of their snaps if their defense is going to work how we know it can. Missing Walker, or missing Campbell, excuse me, for any amount of time would be a big problem. He missed one game last year, the first time he'd missed a game in quite some time in his career. He really hasn't had a noteworthy injury, but that's not really a guarantee that it's going to happen again. So if there's a concern, it's not necessarily necessarily that he's likely to be injured. It's just that injuries are always a concern for, well, pretty much anybody. And if Campbell's a con- Campbell is injured, it's going to just by the fact that he's not on the field going to be a big regression for him in 2022. There is also the possibility, though I'm not saying it's likely, that you could see some age-related decline. He's not old per se, but he's also not young either. He's heading into his age 29 season. The slowdown comes for everybody. So when is the slowdown going to come for Devondre Campbell? Because even losing half a step would hurt him as a player, I think, in a big way. His range and athleticism is a big part of his game. It's a big part of his run defense. It's a big part of his coverage ability. It's a big part of everything that he does as a blitzer. It, it's huge. And losing any of that would be a big step backward. I'm not saying any of these things are likely. But they are something to keep in the back of your mind as we remember Devondre Campbell's significance to this Packers defense. Let's talk about preseason game number two real quickly. A few things that we're going to be watching. First and foremost, I think on everybody's list is Jordan Love, because that's just how we do things uh, as Packers fans. We talk about Jordan Love because Jordan Love, in a lot of ways, is fun to talk about. And I want to take a second here and clarify something from the last episode. I got a good good follow-up question in our Discord server uh, from Discord user Wander Around. Uh, He asks me, here. I just finished the most recent episode and really enjoyed it. I did take umbrage with one point and I'd like to express my opinion. You mentioned love apologists will say that he wasn't playing with the other starters in Detroit and will use that as an excuse, which you classified as unhelpful. Is it unhelpful though? Um, And he goes on to just explain a little bit more. And I'm sorry if I wasn't clear on that. I'm not saying that that is um, an argument that people who are trying to make a case for Jordan Love will use. When I said that in context, what I was trying intending to communicate was that as we evaluate Jordan Love as a player, the Lions game last year is one that is practically worthless as we try to gauge his overall career 
prospects to date. I mean, sure, there are some things if you really want to nitpick that you can be concerned about from that game or criticize him for. But really, as an overall impression of his abilities as a player, I'm with you. Like, even if you're somebody who doesn't particularly like Jordan Love, I don't think you can really look at that last game of last season and say, boy, he really stunk up the joint. Sure, he didn't. He threw two interceptions on, you know, or an interception on back-to-back drives or whatever near the end of that game. But overall, I mean, we're playing at best with the JV squad in that game. It, if you're going to knock Jordan Love for that, okay, well, I don't know what I'm really going to do for you. Um, so I just want to make that clear that, you know, if, even though I I think there are some things that if you want to criticize love about something you could in that game, mechanically, there's some stuff, maybe that's an issue overall, don't use that lions game as an overall gauge of his performance as a player. So I'm sorry if I was unclear on that and I'm grateful for the, the opportunity to follow up, but as we head into preseason game number two, um, let's see it. Let's see another step from Jordan love, uh, Tom Silverstein, of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel said that he ended a practice this week with probably the best throw that we've seen from him in his career to date, just a 50-yard bomb to Samori Touré uh, to end practice against the Saints uh, for a touchdown. Let's see some of that in game. Um, let's see a really dominant game from Jordan Love, and I, I hope we do. I would love to see that uh, because he is, I, you know, for all the the things that you can talk about with Love, I think he is tantalizing as a prospect. I mean, you do see the big arm there sometimes. You do see the arm talent that people talk about. I'd love to see it in a game. I would love to see a monster bomb um, for a touchdown. That'd be a lot of fun to see. Offensive line, too, is going to be on my watch list. Who plays, when do they play, and where are they playing? Particularly, we're looking at right guard, I think, right now. Who is stepping in to take snaps there? Uh, Who is right tackle. I think right now we're competing for the the second string right tackle job. I'm pretty optimistic about Elton Jenkins being on the field for week one. And if he's on the field, he's going to be at right tackle. So our people sorting out or shaking out at right guard, that's that's the number one watch, uh, number one thing on my offensive line watch list. Uh, on the edge, a um, couple names to watch. Uh, Kobe Jones making things interesting at least. Um, seems like a low-level guy at best heading into training camp. Uh, but he, he keeps showing up. Can it continue? We'll see. Uh, J.J. Anigbari, uh, I am all over the map on his last name pronunciation, uh, so I'm sorry about that if we're not getting that one right. But he had a really strong game, I thought, against the 49ers, and another strong game pushes him forward on the edge depth chart. Um, we'll see where he ends up because there are opportunities there, that is for sure. Cornerback depth. Uh, anybody else want to step up other than Shamar John Charles? Um, he had a phenomenal game, I thought, against the 49ers, really took some some strides. Uh, beyond that, there was reason to be concerned. I mean, Rico Gafford is somebody a lot of people are talking about as a potential sixth cornerback. Not based on last Friday, that's for sure. Um, anybody can have a bad game. Time to turn around and have a good one. Finally, who's going to be that random splash guy? This is the fun part of preseason for me because we're going to look back in, in a few years and say, hey, remember when B.J. Baylor had that big, you know, long touchdown against the 49ers or big long catch and run? Uh, that was fun, wasn't it? Whatever happened to him? And then you look him up on Wikipedia. Oh, well, he's been out of the league since 2022. Geez, here, it's 2025 already. I uh, wonder why he never got another shot. Danny Davis, uh, another random splash play. A uh, nice play on that adjustment on the, on the ball from uh, from Jordan Love. Good throw from Love there, too. Uh, he's been out this week with injury. Who's going to have the random plays like that this week? 
It's fun to see those sorts of names pop up, even if you never hear from them again. Uh, they have this little moment in the sun, and we get to talk about it and see if it makes any difference in their, in their short or long-term career prospects. That's what I'm looking for. And that's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I've really enjoyed talking with you in this one, and I hope you enjoyed listening as well. If you enjoyed it, I would uh, really appreciate it if you would share it with someone you think would enjoy it as well. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.